Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Advent at Union Chapel. Glad you're here. I'm Greg Paris, and I'm so uh, pleased that uh, you, you braved the weather today to make it to worship. Welcome. Uh, just a reminder that next week is our Christmas offering, and we will give $10,000, the first $10,000, to support Blood and Fire's Christmas store downtown. Over 300 families will get Christmas this year who wouldn't otherwise have that opportunity, and I know you feel good about that. And then the balance of the offering uh, next weekend will go to our church planting initiatives, our outreach initiatives to plant other churches in the next uh, several years. We have a benefactor who has offered us a matching grant of $700,000. So for every dollar we raise in the next couple of years, that will be matched up to $700,000. So this is an opportunity for you to double your gift, to multiply your, your money. So... It's a wonderful thing, and I know you're thinking and praying about that. Beth and I are very excited about this year's Christmas offering, looking forward to it next week. Now today, uh, we are continuing in the series that we've been on called The Wonder of Christmas, and today, particularly, The Wonder of a Name. The Wonder of a Name, We've taken as our reference today from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. I'll begin reading at verse 18 through 25, so if you'll turn there, if you have your Bibles, that'd be great. We will... Project the words on the screen, of course. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word, so as you're able, would you please? Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And this all took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. I mean, God inspires today through this powerful story. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Okay, now I need you to work with me a little bit this morning. You ready? I've got some questions, Christmas questions See if you can figure out the answer. Now you have to think. Are you ready? Here's the first one. What do you call an elf who sings? That's a rapper. <laughs> All right, now, you understand? Understand the strain now, the theme that we're on? Okay, why is Christmas just like your job? Because you do all the work and the fat guy with the suit gets all the credit. Yeah. What's the difference between the Christmas alphabet and the ordinary alphabet? Someone may get this. The Christmas alphabet has Noel. Yeah. What do you call people who are afraid of Santa Claus? Claustrophobic is correct. Very good. Why is it that the Christmas tree can't stand up? It has no legs. That's my favorite one. That's so hilarious. That's so good. No legs. It's obvious. 
Yeah. What, what do you call an obnoxious reindeer? Rudolph. You're getting close over there, I could tell. Why was Santa's little helper depressed? Because he had low elf esteem. Got a cackle over there. That's nice, a cackle. What, what do you call a kid who doesn't believe in Santa? A rebel without a clause. Uh-huh, uh-huh. How does a Jew celebrate Christmas? He installs a parking meter on the roof. I'm sorry, was that racist? I think maybe... The, Maybe I should, no, that's not good. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. What do you call Santa's helpers? Subordinate clauses. And finally, the four stages of life. You ready? Stage number one, you believe in Santa. Stage number two, you do not believe in Santa. Stage number three, you dress up as Santa. Stage number four, you look like Santa. Can I get a witness? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just remember this. Christmas isn't about how big the tree is or what's under the tree. It's about who's around the tree. Yeah, keep that in mind. Well, today's uh, text from Matthew's Gospel is very important. And what you may not realize is that only two of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, only Matthew and Luke actually give us the narrative of the birth of Jesus. So the nativity story is only found in these two Gospels. And both of these guys write from a different perspective. For example, Luke is a Gentile physician. He is not only a physician, but he is the only Gentile writer found in the New Testament. And Luke is very concerned that we will see the world and see the life of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus, the activities of Jesus, through an, an important lens. And the lens that Luke wants us to see through is one that includes everyone. The universality of God's grace and love is clearly on display in Luke's gospel. Uh, as a physician, uh, we find, uh, in a way that makes perfect sense, more of the healing miracles of Jesus than in any of the other gospels. And we also know that Luke has interest in people who are marginalized and, and kind of in the down and out of the culture. Luke is also interested in in valuing the place and role of women in the life of Jesus. So, for example, we, we see Elizabeth, who's the, the cousin of Mary, and Elizabeth is the mother of John the Baptist, and these two meet before Jesus and John Baptist are born. And so we see that, that emphasis made clear in Luke's gospel. Also, we see a woman named Anna, who's described as a prophetess, and she is found in the temple on the eighth day when they take Jesus for circumcision. And she's there and she announces under the inspiration of the Spirit, behold the Lord's Christ. And the woman, you remember this account, when a woman washed the feet of Jesus with her tears, wiping them with her hair. Very powerful, very poignant. These women and others are found in Luke's gospel. So we see, we see Luke opening this wonderful expression of God's inclusion of everybody and that his love extends to all. 
So Luke's gospel takes us, in the genealogy of Jesus, as it's listed in Luke's gospel, takes us all the way back to Adam, so that all men are included along the line. And, and Luke then sees the gospel, sees the Christmas narrative through the eyes of Mary. Now, on the flip side, Matthew, who addresses the nativity, takes a perspective that is Jewish in nature. Uh, Matthew is a Hebrew patriot. He is a tax collector by profession. He writes the genealogy of Jesus all the way back to Abraham. So you see the Hebrew roots. Um, Matthew is very concerned about uh, communicating to all the readers that Jesus is found all the way through the Old Testament so that Matthew references Old Testament prophetic words about Jesus and Messiah and that all the all the information is adding up and pointing to only one person, and that's Jesus the Christ. Uh, and so Matthew, Matthew sees the story through the eyes from the perspective of Joseph. Joseph in the story is the one whose lineage actually goes back to Abraham. And so these two different and yet complementary views of the nativity are on display in the Gospels. There is one place, though, where both of their perspectives converge. And it's in this part of the story where an archangel visits both Joseph in a dream and Mary. And at the end of that dream, the explanation is given, a son is going to be born. And when he is born, you shall give him the name Jesus. And now we have complete commonness at this point of the name of Jesus. Now, why is the name so important? On your outline, you'll see a few points. And by the way, this is, a, this is a holiday sermon. It's brief. And so here's the first point. You want to write this down in your outline. The name is a special name. The name of Jesus is a special, special name. Now, the first thing that most people are given when they come into the world, except you know, after the rude awakening, is a name. And it becomes your handle. And it becomes how you are identified in, in the world. Now, back in the day, some of you are old enough to remember that wedding, uh, wedding, baby showers were actually done after the birth of a child, and the reason for that is because no one knew the gender of the baby until after the birth. Now, with ultrasound technology, that can be discovered fairly early on, and et cetera, et cetera. So sometimes new parents actually withhold the name from people that they're considering until after the birth, so that at least they have something to reveal after the baby has been born. And so uh, people search popular lists online, and, and there are books written about popular names for children, and most folks refer to those so that you see common names uh, kind of generation to generation that become popular. Some parents, though, they want to be different. They want to be unique. They want to be artistic. They want to be fashionable. And so they go to some other kinds of lists and, and find uh, more goofy names for their kids. And so you see this happening uh, all the time. For the ancient Hebrews, though, in this text, this context, names held great meaning, great, great meaning, very significant meaning. Not only did the name itself have a meaning, but it almost implied the kind of destiny, the kind of course that a life would take based on the meaning of that name. And so we find on occasion in the Bible where people's names were actually changed, you might recall that Abraham, the father of the Hebrew faith, his name originally was Abram. And his name was changed from Abram to Abraham. Abraham meaning 
the father of a multitude of nations. And so it follows his destiny. The uh, name of his wife, you may recall that Abram, Abraham's wife originally was named Sarai. Now, Sarai actually meant quarrelsome, but it was changed to Sarah. And Sarah means princess. That's much better, right? <laughs> and, and, and so we get to the New Testament, and one of the 12 disciples, Simon, Jesus actually renamed about midway through, through the story. Uh, Jesus turns to Simon and says, from now on I'm calling you Petros, which means rock. You're the rock. You're Peter. And so he changed his name, and not only changing his name, but changed his destiny, changed the trajectory of his life because he was given a new name. Now mark that thought, mark that thought as we continue. So now we find the name Jesus. You shall give him the name Jesus. Now why is that special? Why is that important? What is the, what is the emphasis of this name and what can we learn from it? Well, here's what you should know. Jesus is actually the Greek version, Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua. They're the same name, only different form. One Hebrew, one Greek. Now, you'll remember that Joshua was a prominent figure in the time of Moses. And as the people were enslaved in Egyptian bondage, and then under Moses' leadership, they crossed the Red Sea, went into the Sinai Peninsula, into the desert for 40 years. They're wandering in the desert. And so Joshua, whose name, his birth name was Hoshea, which means salvation. But it was kind of in contrast to a guy who's enslaved. And so he follows Moses into the wilderness 40 years. And at the end of those 40 years, they're at the edge of the Jordan River and looking over into the land of promise, the land of Canaan. It's the, it's the land that God has given them. And Moses, as you'll recall, selects one man from each of the 12 tribes. And these 12 guys go in to spy out the land. They come back, 10 of these guys have a bad report or a fearful report. They say the land is great, but the people there have fortified cities and big armies and they're very strong and we, we best not mess with them. But two of the guys, you'll remember, Caleb was one of them and Hoshea or Joshua because just before Joshua was sent out on this spy mission, Moses renamed him. His name was Hoshea, which means salvation, and, of course, the Hebrew name for God was Jehovah. And so he combined Jehovah and Hoshea and made it Joshua. So Jehovah, God, Hoshea, salvation, the God who saves, the Lord of salvation, which is what Joshua means. And the Greek version of Joshua, the God who saves, the Lord of salvation, is Jesus. So the name Jesus is given to this child and the meaning of that name is the God who saves the Lord of salvation now, how many of you just learned something right there you just learned something that's good to know isn't it the name of Jesus means the God who saves and so it is a special name all right this leads us to the second point on the outline and this you've just learned what this second point is it's the name that saves the name that saves now we all know that God was motivated by love when he sent Jesus into the world. He wanted to reveal himself to us, and he loves us, and he wants to have a relationship with us. But there was a deeper problem at work in humanity. 
deep problem. There's a serious issue. I mean, what is it that would cause God to go such an, to extreme lengths that he did to send his own son even to die for us? There must be something really bad, something gone wrong. And we need to think about that. We need to contemplate that. And some people would suggest, well, maybe our problem is ignorance. We just didn't know what God was like. We didn't know what God expected of us. And so we're ignorant. So what we need is a teacher. But if Jesus came merely as a teacher... He can only address our ignorance. And then some folks might speculate, well, maybe it's our brokenness. Yeah, all human beings are broken. We, we, we know we're hurting and broken inside. And as a result of that, we need a healer. But if Jesus came only as a healer, could only address the issue of brokenness. And then someone else speculates and says, maybe our, our real problem is relational. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's it. We just can't get along with each other, even with the people we love. It's hard to get along with them sometimes. And so we have this relational dysfunction. So what we need, we need a counselor. We need a therapist. And so if Jesus came as a counselor, it could certainly help us with our relations. Then other, others imagine, well, maybe the real problem, the fundamental problem is poverty. That's it. We just have too little of the things that we actually need. And so what we need is a prophet. Someone who would, who would speak for justice and, and, and maybe advise us on how best to deal with the resources at our disposal. But if Jesus came only as a prophet, maybe we missed the point. So what does the Bible teach us about the real problem? The Bible teaches us that our problem is much deeper than ignorance or brokenness or relationships or poverty. It teaches us... Just as the angel said to Joseph in our text today, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from what? From ignorance? From poverty? From brokenness? No, he said he will save his people from their sins. From their sins. That's why the angels announced to the shepherds, you know, the lowly shepherds on the hillside, and, of course, this appears in Luke's gospel, again, looking for the down and outers, these lowly shepherds. And the angels announced to them, don't be afraid, I bring you glad tidings of a great joy, which shall be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, what? A Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So God knows that we need more than a teacher, we need more than a healer, we need more than a counselor, we need more than a prophet. What we need to address the fundamental problem of all humanity is we need a savior we need a savior so god sent jesus and that truly is good news great news of joy because god has provided the solution to our deepest need it's good news that god loves you it's good news that god wants a relationship with you it's good news that no matter what you've done that god is not against you but he is for you no matter how far you've wandered God wants you back, his arms are open wide, and he extends his love to you. That's really great news. Most of you know John 3.16. I mean, many of you could quote John 3.16, but not many of you know John 3.17, the next verse. I want to put it on the screen for you. Look at it. It says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Hmm. Pastor friend of mine tells the story of a young man he had known for 
a long time, many years since the boy was a teenager. And as a youth, he said, this young man took his faith very seriously and was outspoken about his relationship with Jesus. He finished first in his high school class, went on to college, and then uh, to a prestigious law school. And today he works at a highly respected law firm. My pastor friend said that he ran into him not long ago and congratulated the young man on his many accomplishments and the young man thanked his pastor. And then the pastor asked, tell me, what church are you attending? Young man told his pastor he hadn't been to church for years because he was just too busy and had too much to do. And this is what he said, and I quote, Pastor, I've got so many personal goals to, to attain that I don't have time for religion. I don't have time. Hmm. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Unfortunately, it does, doesn't it sound familiar? So many, so many, so many, so many people place their personal goals above their personal relationship with God. They neglect and reject the call that Jesus offers to us. And so they put it off and they go the other way. Yeah. The Bible calls our rejection of God sin. It's a biblical term, sin. Maybe you haven't heard of it for a while. Sin. We don't talk about it much anymore, do we? Don't hear any of it in culture, and very rarely do we hear it talked about in church. But the Bible calls our rebellion, our rejection of him, sin. That's the problem. That's why Jesus came. God knows that all of us need a Savior. That's why Paul wrote to the church at Rome in Romans 3.23. He said, for all have sinned and fall short of God's best plan. Hmm. Sin is not a word we use much today. With the modern psychological sciences, we are, we are being told that, that um, the reason that we do wrong things and take wrong actions come from our wounds and our hurts, and that's probably not too far off. We're all wounded and hurt, broken. We, we are. And we act out of that woundedness. And it looks like bad behavior a lot of the times. The problem with... Uh, Stopping there is that we might assume that therefore we are no longer responsible for our actions. That I'm a bad person because of things that have happened to me. And so therefore I'm not responsible nor accountable for what I do, the decisions I make, the actions I take. But the Bible teaches us just the opposite, friends. That we are accountable and we are responsible let me put this statement on the screen. Maybe it'll bring it home. The notion of sin doesn't fly well in a society that so often denies personal responsibility and believes nothing is truly wrong if it makes you feel good. Mm -hmm. But the Bible says that we're all sinners and in need of a Savior. And that's not bad news. That's just identifying the problem. Here's the good news. The good news is that forgiveness and inclusion in God's family awaits anyone who receives the wonderful gift of the Savior. That's what Christmas is about. That's why it's such a wonder. It's wonderful because of what God has done and the invitation given to all of us. Well, what is the benefit? Let me just add this third point. It's on your outline. This is what we receive as we say yes to the gift of Christmas, and that is we receive a new name, a new name. Uh, when I was 10 years old, I took a paper route. I, I delivered the grit G-R-I-T. How many of you remember the grit? These are old people in the room right now. If you're not old, you wouldn't remember grit. 
You had to be 12 years old to qualify for the paper route. But you should know that I grew up in a small town. My, my family owned a small town grocery store. And so my parents took no notice whatsoever to the child labor laws that existed in the country. <laughs> my family couldn't care less about those things. So by the time I was 10 years old, listen, I'd been working for years in the family business. And, and that's not hype. Um, I don't know how much my parents owe me in back back uh, wages and benefits. I have no idea. It's a lot. So at 10 years old, you know, my dad heard about this paper out and he thought that'd be a great thing for me to have on top of all the other work I was doing. You can do this paper out on Saturday. You only had to deliver the paper one day a week. It was a cushy paper route. One, one day a week. I mean, anybody can do that. And so he said, you want this paper route? And I said, well, I'd like to think about it. And, you know, I, I'm reading the thing. I said, Dad, it says here you have to be 12. He said, oh, we can take care of that. So my dad filled out the application, and, uh, and I qualified somehow after that. So I was awarded the paper route. And every Saturday, I would gather the papers and take them to my customers. And you had to collect every day, and the paper was 15 cents. Now, here's, here's really great. Some of you are old enough, you, you can put this into context. But the grit paper cost me 10 cents a copy. So I made a nickel on every paper. That's, that's good return on investment right there. And, and so it was, a, it was lucrative and it was, it was good. And it only took one day a week. And so I delivered the grit paper. So in order to do my business, I had to open a checking account so that I could pay grit publishing at the end of the month because they'd send me the papers and I have to pay for those. And so I opened a, a checking account and my parents helped me do all of that, and I remember being coached up, you know, how to fill out a check, blah, blah, blah. And so I remember, distinctly remember, the first check I ever wrote. I had to pay grit publishing at the end of the first month, and I remember putting the date there at the top, and I could hear my mom's voice, you know, over my shoulder, now watch your penmanship, you know, so everything was just very easily legible and clear got down, paid to the order of grit publishing. You know, I checked to make sure the spelling was right. Got to the amount. It was $10 or $12 to grit publishing for the month. Filled out the amount. And then finally the signature line. And I remember going, okay, now the signature line. And then I stopped. And the reason I stopped was this occurred to me. This is what happened in my mind. I thought to myself, if I put, this is, this is really important, this is business. You know, Grit Publishing is going to come after me if I don't pay him. And so this check has to work. And I thought to myself, if I put my name on this check, no one will believe it. No one will recognize it. No one, no, no one will process it. No one will, will see any value in it. Because I'm just a kid. And then... The revelation. I know what I'll do. I'll put my dad's name on the check. Because I thought, everybody knows my dad. He's, he's a prominent businessman in the community. Everybody at the bank knows him. Everybody knows he has assets in the bank. So if I put my dad's name on the check, I'm good to go. Now, when I told you what I did, you giggled, you smiled, because you realized, <laughs> that's not going to work. And, and, of course, people at the bank got a big kick out of it. 
and um, they thought it was charming at my expense. And so I, I, learned, I learned a lesson there about writing checks. But on the other hand, I was on to something, wasn't I? Because some names are, as it turns out, more substantial than others. Some names carry more weight than others. It's true. You know it's true. Some names mean more than other names do. And what I was on to that day is what we're on to this day, which is there is a name that is above every other name. There is a name that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that that name, that he is Savior and Lord, King of kings, God of gods, Lord of lords. There is a name that is way above all the other names. It's a special name. It's a name that the angels announced to the boy's parents. It's the name of Jesus. And here's the wonderful good news, my friends, that as we appropriate the gift of Christmas into our own hearts, the promises made to us will be given a new name. And the destiny of our lives will be changed. The course of our lives will be altered. The trajectory of our eternal destiny will be completely changed. Because God Almighty will actually give us a new name. And the name is Christian. The name is follower of Jesus. The name is follower of Christ. And we will not only be given a new name, but we will be given a new place. A new place in the family of God. A new position. A person now who belongs to the greatest family in all the world family of God. Last week I shared with you the prologue of John's gospel, the first chapter of the gospel of John. I want to share just a few verses as we conclude this morning from John's gospel chapter one. Look at it on the screen with me at verse nine following. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him. See the word receive? Note the word receive him. To those who believed in his name. See the word believed? Note it. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Born of God. And so the invitation has been given to us that if we believe in this name that is the Savior of the world and we receive him into our own lives and hearts, we will be given a place to belong in the family of God and a purpose for living and a destiny to imagine because of his great love and grace extended to us. Friends, you know it's true. Multitudes from every age and nation and language and tongue have already done this. They've come to him in faith singing praises to his name. 
And the reason for that is because they know what his name means for them personally. He is Jehovah Yoshia, Joshua, Jesus, the God who saves, the Lord of salvation. We should think about these things. We should contemplate the meaning to our own lives. And we should take the steps we need to appropriate and receive this wonderful gift. Could we pause now just for a moment? Let's think about it. Let's pray about it. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus, your name is beautiful. It's special. You are the Lord of salvation, our God who saves. And we are so grateful that you entered this hostile world to save us, to save us. You're so much more than a teacher, a healer, a counselor, a prophet. You are all those things. You are our Savior. And that is such good news. So here's my question to you today, friends. Are you ready? Are you ready to receive and believe? Could I challenge you? Don't let, don't let one more Christmas season, one more Advent pass in your life without you receiving for the first time, the gift of life. Or, or maybe yours is a moment of the renewal of your faith. It's just time. It's time for you to come back home. You need to come back to your Savior. Now I'm going to pray the, pray the words. I'm going to offer this prayer now. And as I say the words, you believe them in your heart. You pray them in your own mind and heart. And God will hear your prayer. Hear the words. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Be my Savior and Lord. I want to belong to you and your great family. Thank you for being the God who saves. So may the wonder of your name fill my heart with joy this Christmas and every Christmas. I pray in your precious name. Now all the people said, amen. All right, would you stand with us as we sing?